This is Oklahoma football. All right, here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Mainline Podcast. Before we get to a recap of the Oklahoma spring game from this past weekend, please remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review. We love them. We appreciate them. And tonight, guys, marks the show's 30th episode. So thank you to everybody that tunes in each week and supports what we're doing. we got a lot of really good things coming down the pipeline as we creep closer and closer to the 21 season. And before we dive into the OU spring game, i got to bring in the rest of the crew. Adam Jacquez, Corbin Polson. Boys, how are we doing? How's your week been? Man, I didn't realize we were at 30 already. We're we're growing up fast. Time flies when you're having fun, dude. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I feel like the, uh, the the step family in the group. I'm not exactly sure what episode this is for me, um, but uh, obviously 30 is a big deal. So, yeah, excited to be part of it. Dirty for 30. Sure. Absolutely. Well, guys, we had a little bit of uh, – little bit of stuff going on with OU Athletics this past weekend. Before we touch on the spring game, Adam, we're, we're the, I think that this is one of the things that the listeners look forward to every single week when the podcast comes out. They might even fast forward to it. What's going on with OU Baseball? How was this past weekend? <sighs> Wake me up uh, in a few months. Is about, uh, that- about all I have to say there. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. You know, the, the sad part about it is you talk all the time with like the individual performance from Tyler Hardman. He had another, you know, really good three to four day stretch. And it just, it, it, it kind of sucks that they're not taking advantage of that, you know, elite talent that we've got at that position. And um, we'll again, continue to, to ride with them. We'll see if they can turn it around. Now on the other side of things, OU softball, Corbin, what's, what's been going on with them? Anything? Patty, is Patty still on the hot seat or is it kind of cooled down a little bit over at OU softball? Yeah, you know, before I get to that, I hope we keep the baseball segment going even after baseball season's over. Um, let's just just make it a thing. Um, just because that's going to be I like don't torture. <laughs> I don't think there's anything more or less to report after the season's over than it is right now. So we might as well just keep it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Patty's still in the hot seat. They uh, dominated the Baylor Bears last night. Uh, it is weird, guys. When you watch the games, it doesn't quite feel like they're clicking like they used to be, and they're still run ruling teams left and right. Um, so. Team's just ultra talented. I, I do think they're in a little bit of a lull, which sounds crazy. Um, but hopefully they can uh, get back to peak performance here in the next few weeks, heading into uh, into the playoff season. I think I heard on the, on the broadcast last night they're they're selecting sites uh, for regionals uh, next week. I believe. Uh, I would imagine OU is very much in play to to host there. Um, would be stunned if they're not. But you got to assume, you know, heading down the stretch. I think they play Oklahoma State this weekend. No, forgive me. That's not correct. They have the um, the midweek game next week, I think, with uh, Wichita State and the Pokes. Um, so, yeah, you, I think they'll be challenged in those final three games, four games, um, and then head up to Oklahoma City for the Big 12 tournament. And I think it should be fun. Uh, there's enough talent in the Big 12 now in softball that they'll at least, you know, be pushed. So we'll see. It almost kind of seems like whether it's like the Lakers in in basketball or maybe like the Yankees in in baseball, it just kind of seems like they're just you know we're we're just kind of chugging along, beating people, but we're just looking forward to getting into the postseason. That's when we're going to really turn it on. And like I said, this team's been absolutely dominant last last night. I've I've guys I'm don't know if shame is the right word, but I'm I've watched more OU softball this year than I think I have any other sport with the exception of football. I mean, the Patty Gasso's team, they're, they're fun to watch. And last night, just kind of listening to the TV broadcast crew, I mean, it was 0-0 in the fourth inning. And they were talking about, you know, Baylor's playing extremely well. The pitcher, you know, is doing exceptionally well. And then, bam, 4 nothing uh, in, in a matter of minutes. So this team, as talented as they are uh, on offense, that lineup one through nine, all of them can hit the long ball. And they're, they're a fun team to watch. And, um, again, we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking about it again next week. It's, you know, same song, different verse. Uh, but Patty's team's got it rolling. Yeah. Let's just soak this in for a second. The Sooners have not lost a Big 12 uh, series in 10 years. 10 years. 2011 versus Missouri. He's not even in the conference anymore. That was the last Big 12 series they've lost. Well, it's uh, it's got to be that home field advantage <laughs> at, at Marita Hines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that could be it. Maybe yeah, could be. Well, uh, OU women's golf. I mean, they got their their regional side selected. They'll be competing in the postseason. Then OU men's golf. 
uh, hard-fought effort out at the uh, the Big 12 championships this week. They finished their final round earlier today, um, coming in second, losing by one shot to Oklahoma State uh, and finishing just ahead of Texas. So OU, OSU, Texas, probably three of the top five to ten programs uh, in, in college golf. So it'll be fun to watch all three of those programs as they battle it out in the postseason and, they, and uh, Coach Hibble's crew goes for uh, another national championship for, for the men's golf program. But, guys, we had some football this past weekend. It was very vanilla. That's what one of my buddies asked me, you know, I, I was at the game, you know, what, what did you see? How, how was the, uh, how the team perform? I was like, well, I mean, it was, it was a bowl of vanilla ice cream. You knew what you were going to get. The, the, nothing was uh, too complex, very vanilla. So guys, did you just, I guess we can um, just talk about how good it was seeing football back on the screen. Did you guys have a chance to watch it? I know that that was one of the things that was, you know, pretty funny following along, whether it was Carrie, Joe C, you know, direct TV, the streaming services, how that all played out. But do you guys have a chance to watch it live? I did. And uh, it was good. It felt like people were energetic. People are uh, just happy to be in a stadium that I know it was still spaced out and everything, but I think people realize, you know, where this is heading and we're getting back to a full stadium in the fall. And I think people are just really excited, a ton of energy all around. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I was able to watch. I think my biggest takeaway is that, that Tyler, you left the game early. Um, so I think there, you got to question your, your fandom just a tad um, because, you know, we're not going to have football for another four months and you left the game early. Well, unfortunately for this one, I was not the driver of the car that I arrived on campus in. So they wanted to gather a little bit early. That was my ride. So I kind of had to jump ship with a couple minutes left and missed out on the safety to kind of to close the game out. But no, it was fun. Um, like, like you said, a little bit more uh, sense of normalcy. You know, there were, you know, 22,700, I think was the announced attendance. It was fun. Everybody was energetic. Even though it was just a spring game, you could definitely feel that energy. The crowd was excited that we finally had some football back in our eyes. And the fact that it was 70 degrees and sunny, I mean, it was just a perfect day to, to check out Lincoln Riley's team. But guys, starting on the offensive side of the football, one of the things that we talked about going into this year, and we've heard it from, you know, Gabe and Teddy talking on their podcast, the offensive line, they've got the pieces, they've got the talent, but the hard part is going to be putting that puzzle together, finding that starting five to kind of, um, you know, gel together and, you know, be, be Bill Beanbow's group going into game one against Tulane. So, guys, any takeaways, any, you know, anything that you noticed or what you were looking for when watching this offensive line play uh, for both halves on Saturday? Maybe it's because my expectations were so low based on what we've you know been hearing on different pods and different sources. But I thought the offensive line looked fine. Um, they didn't necessarily blow me away or anything like that. I did think Raim looked pretty natural at center. I think the next few months will be really important for him to further establish himself at that role. But I think that is pretty vital. That is the voice of the offensive line is the center spot. And so if you can narrow that down and lock that in and spring ball – that should do wonders heading into next season. But that was probably my biggest takeaway. I mean, guys, the, the biggest issue, I think, with the O-line right now is just is just on the injury front. They can't seem to stay healthy, and you can't really build that chemistry unless you're healthy. And so um, maybe that's a testament to how good the the depth and the, the talent is at the D-line position, that they're just getting beat up by them. Um, but that's probably my biggest concern based on anything, you know, that I could have seen at the spring game was just – you got to be healthy and we, we need to get there and you get those guys healthy to build that chemistry. Cause that's really, really important. I looked at, you know, the offensive line before the game and basically said, this is going to be the most meaningless uh, game for that particular position group, because it's the position group that needs to gel the most. And I really think even as we start the season, it's not going to be until probably the beginning of big 12 play that we really see this, you know, offensive line take form and, uh, really hit their groove. And so we saw several guys sitting out. We saw a bunch of backups in there. Uh, we saw quite a bit of Bray Walker, who I think uh, is not going to play much at all uh, in, in real minutes in an actual game. So, uh, but with all that being said, I was slightly impressed with their ability to hold up uh, in the pass rush uh, quite a bit. And I thought they did better than I was expecting. But then again, you have to take into account hardly any of the big time guys on the defensive line were playing. Uh, at all, if any, you know, just a few snaps here and there. So I don't know what to really take away from what I saw from them on Saturday. 
I, I had a couple takeaways from it. And for me, number one, it's, it started with Andrew Rain. You know, losing Creed Humphrey, who's going to be picked in the NFL draft, you know, hopefully tomorrow night, the first round, but he for sure won't see uh, past Friday. But looking at a guy like Andrew Rain, a guy that was, you know, heavily recruited out of high school, he's an Oklahoma kid, um, a guy that pushed for some playing time at that right guard position last year. And guys, we, we heard about it all, you know, pretty much all offseason. And going into spring camp, like Chris Murray, like he's got to be penciled in as the as your starter, right, at the center position. And you know, uh, Andrew Rame, he took every single snap for for his team. Um, so hearing a lot of good things. He's a you know highly intelligent kid. There weren't any you know uh, you know you know d- disrupts and or breakdowns in protection. I thought he handled everything extremely well. His biggest thing this off season is going to be getting in the weight room with Benny Wiley, getting his strength up, you know, improving his footwork, improving his base. Um, and that way, you know, he's going to have some pretty, pretty big time uh, nose tackles lining up against him, especially when you look and see what Texas and teams like Iowa State uh, are going to be bringing in uh, to, to Norman in the Cotton Bowl. But guys, other than that, for me, it kind of seems like if Andrew Rame, if he's able to truly lock in and lock down that center position, the left side of the offensive line to me is set. You're going to have Wanya Morris, big kid. I like, like I said, you know, you guys give me grief a lot of time talking about the size of these dudes, but like big kid, long. Uh, long arms. Um, he's going to have that left tackle position locked down. Damn you guys! And then at the at the left guard position, Marquise Hayes. It kind of seems like he's finally, you know, he's stepping into that role where he's kind of the alpha dog in that room. Uh, but you've got that left uh, that left side of the offensive line kind of locked down. And you know, Corbin, you hit the nail on the head. The injury front. I mean, Tyrese Robinson didn't play. Stacy Wilkins didn't play. Anton Harrison didn't play. You're going to have three to four guys potentially for those other two spots on the right side of the offensive line. So Bill Bedenboe, um, he's, he's, his job this offseason, he's, he's going to figure that out. But uh, there's a lot of really talented pieces in play for that offensive line. It's just a matter of getting those guys uh, in sync and getting them ready to go versus Tulane. For those wondering, we do have a full body report coming on Patreon. Uh, just uh, complete uh, notes from Tyler on every single player. Yeah, I'm glad you said arm and not something else. I wasn't really sure where that was going. Uh, so glad we got some clarity on that front. Hey, I, well, I'm, let's move on to the wide receiver position. I don't want to touch on that anymore, no, no pun intended. But, guys, wide receiver, we heard so much going into the game about, you know, Mario Williams. He's been kind of the most talked about skill position guy on the offensive side of the football. What did you guys see from the receiver position, and are you excited about this group moving forward? I think there's a lot to be excited about. I mean, there's it's the off season. <laughs> there's so many guys that have potential, you know, we're high recruits. Um, not a whole lot of proven guys out there. I guess you could say Theo Weiss is the biggest, you know, returning as far as uh, production-wise from the wide receiver room. But there's a lot of guys that we've seen some flashes from. Uh, and specifically Mario Williams, I don't think he was incredible on Saturday, but he did enough that showed, you know, this guy can do some things and he'll probably grow into a, a really solid starter, you know, as a floor for him uh, throughout his career with the Sooners. Yeah, the wide receiver positions, I think, left me wanting a bit more. And again, to Tyler's point, to kind of kick off the podcast, like this was a very vanilla play calling, both offensively and defensively. But I didn't see a lot of separation from the receivers throughout the day. Even with the Mario Williams big play, like I would assume both of you agree, that was an interception. That was not a catch. Um, And then obviously he had the fumble on kind of the, the jet sweep, you know, I don't know if you want to call it a trick play or not, but that wasn't pretty either. Um, so, you know, I think, yeah, Mario looked great for what the spring game was. Um, but specifically when when Spencer Rattler had the ball, there wasn't a whole lot of separation from the receivers. All of those throws were pretty tough. I think Caleb actually had some easier throws throughout the day. Um, but I was, I was left wanting a, a lot more than what we saw. But again, it's a spring game. Like I'm not going to put too much weight into uh, to what I saw for a couple hours when it was a glorified practice. I think really the or go ahead, Adam. Well, I, I, to that point, I kind of question how much Lincoln really put into this because I I don't even think this is worthy of a of a closed practice type scrimmage. This is really just throwing a ton of guys out there. We saw a lot of walk ons, catch passes. Um, you know, Jaden Hazelwood, uh, he was a guy that we were all looking forward to. He only had one catch, and I guess you could say it was the highlight of the entire game, but he was on the field for a little bit more and didn't do anything else. Uh, it wasn't a ton of snaps, but 
yeah, I just feel like we just didn't learn a whole lot here. Going back and rewatching the spring game, obviously being able to look at it from, you know, a different vantage point, it didn't seem like Jaden Hazelwood was overly comfortable in his route running and his movements. It still seemed like he wasn't trusting that leg. It didn't seem like he was back to his old self, what we saw prior to the injury all the way back in 2019. So that's definitely going to be something that, you know, going into the offseason, going into summer camp, the fact that he is going to have this extra time to continue his rehab, continue, you know, de- developing his craft. I, I thought that Jaden Hazelwood, um, I thought that, that that catch was fantastic. And it, it gives people, gives OU fans a lot of reason to be excited. The fact that he could possibly be back uh, to his old self, but we got a little bit more to clean up. But if he catches that ball with two hands, then I think he might be the most disappointing player of the actual entire spring game because people have such high expectations for him. Now, the fact that he caught it with one hand, everyone was excited about it. It looks amazing, but I mean, it was one catch for 20 yards on the day. Well, and really the thing that I took away from the game at the receiver position, obviously, you know, it was very vanilla. You didn't have all the guys that are going to be in that first rotation. Everybody was playing together. But, I mean, obviously, we we know what we're going to expect. I mean, Trajan Bridges, I mean, don't want to speculate. But as of right now, he's not part of the equation in that wide receiver room right now. So, looking at the talent, Mario Williams, freshman, Marvin Mims, he's going to be a dude coming back for his second year. Jane Hazelwood, we really don't know what we're going to expect going into this upcoming season. And then you look at guys like Drake Stoops, finally on Scott. Scholarship, you know, congratulations to that dude. Um, and then Theo Weiss, who was on a scooter with a hard cast on his foot. So the thing that I kind of took away from it was once you get past that five or six group, I mean, the the second rotation, guys, I was looking at it earlier, the, the second unit of wide receivers that were out there with Caleb Williams, Devin Staten, Cody Jackson, Jackson Sumlin, Marcellus Crutchfield. That's why I was talking about with you guys earlier, the fact that OU was able to go into the transfer portal and pick up a guy of the caliber of a Mike, uh, shoot for forgetting the dude's name, Mike Woods, Mike Woods out of Arkansas. Um, he, he, you know, I would say that he, you know, he's going to factor in immediately uh, into that lineup. And guys, kind of the last question that I wanted to poise to you, obviously it was a spring game is very vanilla, but when you look back over the last three to four years, you look at the receivers that the national championship winning teams like LSU had Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Look and see what Alabama's had with Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith is the you know the most recent one. Are you guys excited? Do you think that this is the this is the same maybe type of receiving room in terms of talent production? Do you think that this receiving core is good enough for Oklahoma to win a national championship at that skill position right there? Based on what we've seen so far, no. Um, there's not enough there for me to make that that assumption yet. There's still a lot of unproven. I, I do think the talent's there. Um, we've had zero issues recruiting at that position, obviously. Um, but at some point, you gotta you got to put it all on the field. Yeah. And I remember ta- discussing this a few podcasts back. This has never been an offense that is going to have three to four receivers. Let's take off the H-backs and the tight ends. Three to four receivers that are just going to go light it up throughout a season. It's been a one or two guy receiving core that have really highlighted it and you've had role players around it. So is that possible with, you know, a one-two punch of a Theo Weiss and a Marvin Mims, a one-two punch of a Marvin Mims and a Mario Williams? Yes. Have we seen it? No. Um, and I don't think the the wide receiver group as a whole last year blew me out of the water. I think it was very, a, a mixed bag of, of results. So I think there's, there's more to be desired from that room. And I do think Lincoln knows that um, they, they've, they've got the talent to be at that level, but it has not been proven up to this point. I think what you're saying is spot on Corbin. Like it's a one receiver type of offense as we've seen in the past. And I think that one guy is Marvin Mims. We've seen him proven. I think he's a thousand yard guy in a full season, but you also look at Theo Weiss, Mike Woods, uh, both of them have proved it at the college level as, you know, five, 600 yard type season guys. Um, and then you've got some of your more unknowns, like your, your Jaden Hazelwoods, for example. But I think any of those guys could certainly take a leap and become a thousand yard type guy or, or, or more in the right situation. And I think you do have to take into account at least your tight ends in this scenario because of how often we're splitting them off the end of the, uh, the line there. And so they're going to factor in quite a bit. Uh, you know, Stogner was our leading receiver for the longest time last season. And so he's going to take up quite a bit of passes there. So I don't think you have to expect nearly as much from the receivers. 
And maybe this is a, a good transition into our next position group, but Eric Gray lined up, uh, you know, out wide on the very first play, caught the pass. I thought he was a receiver until he got up after being tackled, and I realized it was Eric Gray, the running back. So I think there's some different playmakers that you can go around and take pressure off of the receivers. One, one last thing that I'll say about the receiver position, like you said, there's there's a lot of unproven talent, but there's so much skill at, at that position that, that Lincoln Riley is going to have a lot of different things that he's going to be able to do with. The fact that you could potentially have Marvin Mims and Mario Williams, two deep play threats, you know, out on the perimeter, but then you also have guys like Austin Stogner who can be, you know, catching balls underneath. Jaden Hazelwood, if he can get back to his old self. Drake Stoops, like I said, I, don't, I think a guy that is a really consistent player doesn't get enough credit for what he does. There's a lot of talent and a lot of opportunity that, that's going to come at that position. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, what comes from that room, uh, especially when a guy like Mike Woods gets there also. Let me ask you guys, because I think last year it could have been for a various amount of reasons we didn't see quite as much of an explosive offense. It could have been because of a young quarterback. It could have been because of a, a, a better defense. And we won't know this answer until fall ball, you know, and we start getting into the season. But should we expect, if the reason the offense slowed last year was because Lincoln was a little more conservative, knowing he could rely on the defense a little bit more than we have in years past, if we expect this defense to be better than it was last year, and I think most of us do, yeah. Should, we ex- should we expect a lesser offensive performance than what we saw in the Baker, Kyler, and even Jalen years? Is that something we should expect? And I think this year will be the swinging point because I don't see this defense getting worse and worse as the year goes on under under Lincoln and, and depending on how long Grinch is there. I, I continue to see it you know, improve, better talent, be better. Is Lincoln going to rest on that a little bit more and maybe not be as much of a gunslinger and yards, 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 big plays as we saw under him the past few years? I'd like to think that last year, part of it was him feeling a little more comfortable with what the defense was doing. Uh, But I also think, too, it was we really didn't have much of a running game for half the season until Ramondre came back. And after that point, a lot more explosive plays also coincided with Spencer Rattler, you know, getting some maturity and and playing better and taking care of the ball. Uh, Because I just think with Lincoln, hopefully, you know, I don't want him to get into a conservative mindset because he's an offensive guy. It's in his DNA. He shouldn't be letting his foot off the gas at all. So I think there will be some situations where it's more conservative, but I'm sure hopeful that he's, you know, trying to score 60 every game, regardless of what the defense looks like. Back during the times, the the teams that Baker and Kyler was on, you know, Lincoln had to, you know, put the pedal to the metal all the way to the floor every single game because you didn't have a defense that you could trust to go out there and get stops consistently throughout the game. But I think going into this year, uh, and again, we'll touch on this as we, you know, move further and further closer to the season, I think that you, you're looking at potentially uh, the possibility of this being a top 10, top 15 defense for the, that we're going to have here in Norman. So with that being the case, Going up against the competition that we will be seeing in the Big 12, this offense, I think that it can afford to take a step back to what we've seen previously from Baker, Kyler, and even some of the numbers that Jalen's teams put up. But when you move into the games against Texas, the game against Iowa State, go into a go into a college football playoff when you're going to be playing the elite of the elite, you've got to have that, you know, that that firepower on offense. You've got to be able to go out there and score. 40 to 50 points against Ohio State or Clemson or an Alabama. And for OU to win a national championship, you know, we just years ago, we wanted the defense just to get a little bit better. I think the defense is going to be quite a bit better than what we saw with the Baker and Kyler teams. So in order for OU to win a national championship or put himself in a position to do so, that offense has to take another step going into this upcoming season and we can you know we can hang our hat on a lot of different reasons why you know it took a step back last year I mean you did have a true freshman quarterback in Spencer Rattler you did have COVID you did have the offensive line showing up out of shape you didn't have your best running back to start the year in Ramondre Stevenson so I think that there were a lot of factors and again not having a spring practice in a traditional fall camp that kind of you know put them behind the eight ball to get going so going into this year I'm not worried about it if I mean I, I trust Lincoln Riley in that group. I'm probably can't believe I'm about to say this. I'm more confident in the defense going into next year than I am the offense, which is crazy to, to say as an Oklahoma Sooner fan. Uh, but no, I, I think that uh, the, the talent's there. Give them a little bit of time, um, and I, I think that this offense will be uh, will be ready to roll um, once we get into Big 12 conference play. Um, but guys, we Adam, that was a perfect segue talking about the running back position. 
I mean, is it is it clear cut? I mean, is is Eric Gray is he the guy from what we've seen? You know, Kennedy Brooks. I really don't think he got very many snaps. There wasn't really anything that he did that kind of jumped off the page to me. Um, he had a he had an opportunity there. He took the took a carry where you know he was maybe one or two cuts away from busting a big one, and you know he slips. Obviously, you know he's still trying to get his uh, his foot underneath him um, and get back in the swing of playing football. But I mean, is it is it Eric Gray? Uh, is it you know is there anybody else? Marcus Major. What do you make of the running back room, Adam? Yeah, Kenny Brooks, two carries for eight yards. We talked about him a few weeks ago, and and really his track record. We remember him as a guy that went for a thousand yards in back to back seasons. But in both 2018 and 2019, he really didn't do a whole lot until about game five, game six on the schedule. And so I think there is still a lot of rust for him there. And we could see another scenario play out like that again this year where it takes a few games for him to really solidify and, and become you know, a guy that's really contributing at a high level. And I think we will need that, certainly, because Eric Gray looked awesome. I mean, he's got the wiggle. He's got some juice, some speed to him. Um, he looks like the number one guy as of right now. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, but he's also not a bigger guy. He's not one that you want to be carrying the ball an absolute ton. And so um, I think you will need some depth uh, behind him for sure. I think this is probably the position group that has moved to number one on my concern list. Um, I do think the offensive line is going to come together. I think it's just a matter of time. I, I still trust Beatonbo to, to do that. But the lack of elite talent in that running back room, to me, is is very concerning. I do believe in Eric Gray. I believe he's the number one guy. And I, I, I do like Kennedy Brooks. But Kennedy Brooks is his best when the offensive line is really, really good. And there are some questions about the O-line. And, and can they pull it together in time for the season? So I worry about that. Um, I worry about that a bit. Uh, and, and to me... As excited as I am about what we saw from Eric Gray on on Saturday, that position has, has probably at this point moved to my, my biggest concern, um, not only for the offense, but for this team moving into next year. I think you know what you've got with Kennedy Brooks. You know what you've got with Marcus Major. I don't know that he's going to be a guy that, you know, he's he can go get 150 yards or, you know, be a 1,000-yard rusher in a season. I don't know uh, if, if that's in the cards for him. I don't know if he's going to get the carries to do that. But looking at a guy like Mikey Henderson, to me, you know, I don't know really if, if DeMarco and Lincoln gave him too many opportunities to carry the rock. I think with his size and his frame, he could be a potential, you know, what we saw with Trey Sermon, you know, early on in his career. He could be that third, late third quarter, fourth quarter back where you give him the rock and let him, you know, kind of wear teams down and pick that up. But um, guys, with spring football now over, that second wave of transfers in, in the portal is going to kind of pick up here over the next couple of days. If you're Lincoln Riley, are you – are you happy with this room? Do you go get another guy? Uh, if, if there's one in that shows up in the portal that you think could come in and contribute, or are you happy with this room? You think that it's good enough to, to go compete and win a college football playoff? I think you have to put up the bat signal and just say RB in the sky and Norman and, and kind of, you know, let it be known that we're looking for somebody. And I'm sure there's somebody out there, similar situation to what Mike Woods was at Arkansas that, Maybe they're at a, you know, a smaller P5 type of school, but they want a chance at a championship, and we've got some playing time available. Uh, I think Marcus Major can be solid. He kind of, to me, and I, maybe it's because he wears the same number, but I see a lot of like Brendan Clay level type of player. Like He could be really good for a game here or there or you know, a certain stretch of games, but he's not going to be the huge difference maker. Uh, so there's not a whole lot of depth there, and I'm not sold on the Mikey Henderson as a running back. I think he's great as a halfback when the defense isn't necessarily keyed on him. They're not expecting that type of speed from that role. So um, I think, I mean, he's, he's a solid player. He wasn't the highest ranked recruit coming out of, out of high school. And I know that's not everything, but this is Oklahoma. Like we need the cream of the crop as far as uh, what we've got at the running back position. And, and Henderson would fit just much better as an H back than he would as a running back in my opinion. Do you think that there's an opportunity for a guy like Mikey Henderson to kind of take on take on that Jeremiah Hall role? I mean, obviously Jeremiah Hall didn't have his best game in the spring game, dropped a couple of passes that Spencer threw to him. Do you think that that could be a role um, that would better suit him, a guy that can block coming out of the backfield, you know, maybe carry the rock a little bit or, you know, make some plays out in space? And he, I mean, he's kind of a, a matchup nightmare at the fact that you're going to put a linebacker on him out in coverage. 
I don't mind him at running back as long as this, or as long as we're talking about goal line or short yard situations. Um, but even then, the and it wasn't a safety, but when the defense got the safety, it's because he hesitated in the end zone. It's just it's not natural for him to be at a true running back role. That, that's that's what I saw. Um, he, he's much better in that H back role. Um, and I do think going back to your previous question, yes, you got to take a look in the transfer portal for another running back, but you have to do it at the risk of potentially losing Marcus Major. So whoever you bring in better be better than what we've seen from Marcus Major so far. Um, best case scenario, Major stays. I don't see that happening if you bring in another running back. But best case scenario, Major stays. You bring in another running back that puts you at four deep in the running back room. Get Henderson back out to that H-back tight end mix spot where he's been so good. That's the best case scenario, but I'm not sure I see that that happening. Well, we've seen it time and time again, you know, especially at the running back position in Oklahoma. I mean, only having four guys in that room. I mean, you're 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 one game away from potentially losing one to two running backs, and obviously the talent level is not what it needs to be from top to bottom at that position group at a place like Oklahoma. So, you know, you lose a guy like like Eric Gray for for uh, for a couple games. Maybe Kennedy Brooks gets banged up. The fact that you're going to have to rely only on Marcus Major or Mikey Henderson to carry the load in this offense. I think that, you know, like you said, Adam, that bat signal's got to go up. If, if there is a guy that can come in here and contribute, I think Lincoln Riley and DeMarco Murray have to pick up the phone. Um, and, it, guys, it just kind of goes to show with the lack of talent in that room how how much it's hurt OU over the past couple of recruiting cycles, not being able to land those four- and five-star guys that we once had in the class and ultimately lost out to Tuscaloosa. But, um, guys – do we have a quarterback battle going on right now in Norman? Is there, is there a reason for controversy at the quarterback position? I guess it's a good thing you didn't lead with this, so it doesn't qualify as clickbait. Uh, no, there's no controversy. And I've actually been pretty impressed that I haven't heard a lot of those types of hot takes of Caleb Williams could be the starter. I think people kind of prepared for that actually before the game really well. And we came out really impressed with Caleb Williams. He did everything that we thought he could do. He looked awesome. Uh, but we also have to keep in mind his expectations were still pretty low because he is the backup. You're always going to be wowed by the backup if they do literally anything. So um, that that just confirmed everything we thought, though. Like the future is very bright with him. I'm not worried at all about Spencer Radler. We do have to constantly remind ourselves that like we can't look at the beginning of the 2020 season and go, oh yeah, you know, Spencer Rattler struggled. He didn't have the experience. And then look at Caleb Williams right now and go, oh, it'd be no problem. He should start. There's still an experience gap there. Uh, and, and Williams didn't even play a senior year in high school. So Rattler is the guy. He needs to be the guy if this team wants to win a championship, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, but let me ask for hypothetical sake. I know this is a good question. I think it was on Scoop. But is this like, is this the closest quarterback competition in Lincoln Riley being the head coach, because you look back and there was always a competition and quote unquote, for people who can't see me, quote unquote, quarterback competition in the spring. It's been that way almost every single year. And we all really knew there wasn't, but is this almost working in reverse? We all know Spencer's the guy, but is that talent gap between him and Caleb actually closer than any other talent gaps that we've, we've seen in the quarterback room? Well, we all know that the reports that were out there, I mean, it was Austin Kendall. I mean, you know, he has one better practice. He could have taken that job from, from Kyler Murray, and that's him winning the Heisman Trophy. But, no, lo looking at this, th there were two things that I took away from the quarterback performances over the weekend. I mean, number one, Caleb, Lincoln Riley's done it again. I mean, as an OU fan, I mean, we have just been spoiled. It's been absolute riches, the fact that you're going to go from Baker to Kyler to Jalen Spencer, we know the talent, and then, I know it's a spring game, but you can see the talent level just in that one game alone uh, from Caleb Williams. So, And then I also think that Caleb playing extremely well and Spencer struggling a little bit. I mean, like we said, it was very vanilla. You can't really put a ton of stock into it, but I think Caleb Williams' performance in that game, playing as well as he did, I think that's good news for Spencer Rattler. The fact that he knows that there's a guy just maybe almost as talented as him, nipping at his heels, competing, playing for or competing for uh, playing time. The fact that he is going to be putting in the work, I think that that's good news for Spencer Rattler because he's going to have to take this offseason serious, continue to get better, iron sharpens iron. I think that that's uh, that that bodes well for for Spencer Rattler going into this upcoming season. And Ben Harris, uh, six for six. Uh, passing, he could be a real, real difference maker. 
I, I just laughed. Get, when the, he, get the packages ready. Yeah, he got out there on the third series, and I was like, okay, this is the type of scrimmage that Lincoln is throwing out here. Like, I don't know if I can take anything seriously from this point. Guys, crazy to think that Micah Bowens may have a player or two or a package or two heading into next year. I don't, I don't think so. Um, the dude's got some wheels. Yeah, for sure. And especially if we're looking at that running back room and if it's we don't get a transfer, I think putting a Caleb Williams or a Micah Bowens out there and doing a zone read with with a Marcus Major makes a major, you know, look a lot better in a running situation uh, just because Rattler doesn't have the wheels of either of those guys. So there could be some situational uh, plays for I, that type of lineup. I would do I would do that with Bowens. I would not do that with Caleb Williams. Um, Why? Too, I mean, that's your backup quarterback. I mean, he's too big of an asset. You I, you can't run the risk of, you know, running the read option with him and Spencer, him carrying the, the football. You know, what if he gets hurt? Then you're – your backup quarterback's down. Spencer is, is definitely going to be running the zone read, and he's your starter. Yeah, but yeah, but what I'm saying is I'm much better. I, I like it much better the fact that he's going to be running the read option with the running back and giving him the ball, unless or instead of running it with Caleb Williams, potentially handing it off to him. I just think that that creates another too many opportunities for Caleb to you know take an unnecessary hit. I guess. Sure, but you could also do more with Caleb. In that, I mean, we're, we're are just, you are you talking about having Spencer and Caleb on the field at the same time? That's kind of what I took from it. No. Okay, no, no, you're I'm talking about putting like a Caleb pack- Williams and Marcus okay. Major. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I thought you were talking about putting Caleb in the back in the backfield no, with Spencer at the same no, no, time. No. Okay. No, okay. Sense, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm all in favor of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah I think we'll see potentially packages for both of them. I, I don't think that's that's that insane at this point. Um, would I be surprised how much you see Micah Bowens? Sure. But I don't think it's wild to think that there's a there's a player to help. Chandler Morris got in the Big 12 championship game last year. So yeah. it's, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, let, guys, let's move over to the defensive side of the football. Um, also, the side of the football, I think most fans are, you know, the, the most excited about the potential of this defense going into 2021. So, Adam... Start in any position group on the defense side of the football, wherever you want to go, man. I mean, what what stood out to you from the defense's performance on Saturday? I'm going to go with secondary because I think that's where we learned the most. We saw so many different guys, and pretty much all of them looked pretty decent in one way or another. You know, I saw Justin Harrington and Billy Bowman just sticking with receivers, you know, stride for stride down the field. Um, everybody looked much bigger, <laughs> honestly, than than we've seen in previous years. So that was encouraging. I think those guys are – are hungry, they're ready to eat and, and get some turnovers. And really, they may not get nearly as many opportunities at interceptions just because they're running like stride for stride with so many guys and they're covering up, covering them up with their length. So um, I, I'm pretty excited and impressed with what we have in that group of guys. And we didn't even see everybody either. Yeah, I like what I saw at every level. Um, but again, grain of salt. You know, that offense wasn't doing anything crazy. They were running very simple routes. Um, but you know, they were covered and, and, and there was pressure put on all quarterbacks throughout the game, especially Spencer Spencer, I think had the most pressure of any of the quarterbacks that played. Um, and, and maybe, maybe this is just, you know, the, the, the Mike Stoops whiplash that I'm still dealing with, but like, I'm still questioning, like, is this defense good? Like, I've seen this before, a solid spring game. I've seen it before, a solid first few games of the year. I've seen this before, you know, so there's still a little bit of enemy. I think, you know, it's still getting flushed out of my system. Is just like ripping off the bandaid of years past defenses. Um, but I'm optimistic. The defense looked good. That's how they were supposed to look. And time will tell if that was the offense being bland or if the defense has really improved that much. Well, you guys give me shit about it all the time. I mean, the the first text message that I sent to you when I got to the stadium and saw the team going through warmups was, you know, the the size of these defensive backs. I mean, we've we've grown accustomed. We've gotten so used to the the days of the Mike Stoops and the Kerry Cooks DBs that are five nine, five foot ten out there, and now you've got guys, you know, six one, six two, six three out there that are, you know, they they've got the size, they've got the athleticism, and they've got the speed. So it's uh, it's a nice change of pace to finally see in that defensive back room, the guys that we've grown accustomed to almost envying the fact that the teams like Ohio state and Alabama, they've got these bigger, longer, uh, more, you know, longer frame guys playing that position and guys throwing it back to you, Corbin. I mean, looking at a guy like Justin Harrington 
And again, take it with a grain of salt. It's the spring game, but from what we saw, how these guys moved, how they you know covered out in space, given the amount of depth at the cornerback position, obviously we didn't see Woody Washington, but Woody, DJ Graham, Jaden Davis, Latrell McCutcheon looked good, Josh Eaton looked good. What do you make of the Justin Harrington experience at corner? Do you think that stay put with that, or this is an opportunity maybe to kind of move him elsewhere in the secondary where he could have a you know a bigger impact for the team? Hard to say. Um, we didn't see him a lot on Saturday. I thought he looked fine when he was out there. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. It almost seems like it's up to him. Um, that's kind of, and as someone who's not associated with the program, doesn't know the inside conversations. But if he wanted to move to a nickelback or a safety position, like I would imagine that would have taken place by now. Um, I think it seems like he wants to play corner. I could be way off there, but as long as he continues to want to do that, then, I mean, we haven't seen anything necessarily to encourage him to move elsewhere at this point. I think well, and it, I think you look great. Uh, it would be nice if, you know, he could get some experience at nickel as well, uh, and that way he can play either position, especially if we go into a season or a game and we have a receiver that's out and we want to slide Bowman over to the other side of the ball to create some depth over there to have a guy like Justin Harrington that can step into the nickel and play really well. Um, that can only be a benefit. But he looks great against the third string offense. And the uh, walk-on and, wide receivers. So, and, and keep in mind, too, that he was in the third rotation of corners that took the field on Saturday, which, I mean, t- again, take it with a grain of salt. That could be Lincoln and, and Grinch, you know, playing mind games with us, not trotting him out there earlier. But there's just so much talent at that position uh, across the board. And when, when you guys move into a situation where – you're going against an Iowa State that's going to have a Charlie Kolar or a Texas or an Oklahoma State that's going to have a bigger body tight end or a bigger body slot guy. I liked what I saw out of Billy Bowman, the true freshman out of you know out of Denton Ryan. But going into those games, it might not be a bad idea to throw a six-three Justin Harrington out there that can play uh, play that position and go up against some of those bigger body guys that we'll see in those bigger games down the stretch. But um, guys, DJ Graham, like. Stock up, stock down. I'm buying as much stock of that dude as possible. We'll talk about that a little bit more at the end of the show. But, I mean, the way he looked in pass protection, I know that, you know, in the books it looks like he gave up that 50-yard, you know, catch to Tamari Williams. He caught that ball. He was the first one that got his hands on it. Replay would have returned or would have overturned it. But I thought he looked great in coverage. And, again, I, I like the I like the frame, good size. And, you know, he, he knocked the piss out of Major Melson going on that. Uh, that play along the sideline. So it's nice. Again, I know it's probably a third or fourth string guy, but it's nice seeing the physicality from that position on this OU defense. So um, guys, defensive line, Corbin, the depth, dude. I mean, it's, I, I haven't seen the depth of this position in 10, 15 years. It's, it's, it's fun to see out there. Yeah. And possibly the two best players didn't play. Yep. I mean, they were on the sidelines. Um, so yeah, a lot to be excited about there. Um, you hope those younger guys continue to, to make steps and progress in the right direction, and I think they will. Um, you know, again, you just – you hope in the scenario, and, and, and every team has has this to deal with throughout a season, you know, injuries are going to happen, and people are going to be out for whether that's a game, a couple games, a season. And so I think that's where that depth comes in. Um but that's, I think that, that depth still needs to be proven a little bit more, especially if you lose, you know, God forbid, a, a Nick Benito and Isaiah Thomas, some of those really elite guys that we're excited about. There's going to be a drop-off, but how much? And so um, I think that's the big question, and, and hopefully we don't have to have that conversation at all. Um, but in the case that it does, can those, those guys step up regardless of what year they are, if they're a true freshman stepping in that position or if they've been around the program for a few years, they've, they've got to, you know, meet that standard that those other guys have already set. So, um, so we'll see. From, you know, what stood out to me, I think it's tough because the, the really key guys weren't playing at all, or they were only playing a couple snaps, but it was good to see uh, Nathan Rollins, Kavange and, uh, and Clayton Smith out there. I'm pumping the brakes a little bit on Clayton Smith. I think he's just going to need a little more time to get up to speed, um, to know where he's going, what he's doing. And I think to bulk up a little bit too, he's certainly got some room to, to add some weight there. And so, but I, I think it just shows that there's a lot of really young guys still, Reggie Grimes included, Ethan Downs included, that may not contribute a ton this year just because there's so much depth in front of them. 
but I think they're a very talented group in their own right that will eventually get there one day. Well, and, and I think that's the word that sums it up best. I mean, there is so much depth in that room. I mean, Calvin Thibodeau, I mean, job well done. The, what he's been able to build, him and you know Jamar Kane over the last couple of years, filling that room up with such good talent. But when you looked out there, I mean, Heron Winfrey, uh, Josh Ellison, you know, Reggie Grimes, you knew what you were going to get from those guys. I thought Reggie looked really good. He's gotten a lot bigger since last year. And, you know, role players that played on Saturday, guys like Jordan Kelly that looked extremely well. Corey Roberson played outstanding. And Isaiah Coe, in the limited amount of snaps, that was the first chance we got a, uh, a chance to watch him in live action. I thought he played really well, too. And the fact that, she, like you said, you didn't even have Isaiah Thomas or Jalen Redmond suited up for that game. So, there's a lot to like about that about that position, and I think that that's been one of the main things that OU's been missing. Uh, one of the things that I think is going to give them an opportunity to go to that next level and compete for a national championship is you've got seven, eight, nine guys that you can trot out there on the defensive line every single play and not feel like you're losing anything from a talent or production standpoint. Um, and I think that's a perfect segue into the linebacker position. The, I, to, to me, there's a lot of depth in that room as well. Um, Caleb Kelly... I thought he played really well. I mean, again, take it with a grain of salt, very vanilla, but seeing how he moved, how he flowed, how he pursued the football, played well out in space, I thought he looked outstanding. And you can definitely tell that that kid um, took advantage of his time, you know, being being off the field, unfortunately being injured, but he got into the weight room and, you know, the, the proof's in the pudding. You could see that Benny Wiley has uh, had a huge impact on him because uh, he looks outstanding. And, you know, looking at that guy, so much depth, White, Osamoa, Uguebu, Kelly, you know, Shane Witter, Adam, your guy, Brian Mead. I mean, there's there's a lot to be excited about uh, at that linebacker position. There's a lot of good depth. Yeah. Caleb Kelly, I want him to be have an incredible year. I want him to win the Butkus and, you know, get drafted in the NFL so bad just because he's such a good dude. He provides a ton of leadership. This is going to sound like a Tyler quote. He looks great in a uniform. I mean, uh, the dude... I mean, he's got the desire. He wants to contribute so much. He hasn't really had that true opportunity in pretty much all of his seasons here at OU. And um, he looked good in limited action that we saw. And I, I just hope that that can continue. And, um, you know, knock on wood as hard as I can that the injury bug stays as far as possible away from him uh, because I think all senior fans would love to see him have an incredible year. It happened all throughout the spring game, and I'm sure we'll continue to see it throughout the regular season. Every time Caleb Kelly made a play, the the applause was a little bit louder than it would be on a normal play. So you can definitely tell that the fan base is behind him. That's a feel-good story. If he can have a tremendous year, that's going to be a great story, not just in Norman, but across college football as a whole with what he's had to overcome. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't take a whole lot away from the linebackers. Um, I think part of that is the nature of the position. Um, you know, unless the running back's breaking through that front line or uh, you know, get caught out in coverage, but yeah, I mean, I'm with Adam. You just got to be hopeful for, for Caleb. Um, since I've really been watching OU football, I can't think of anybody else who's probably had a, a worse luck on the injury front, maybe outside of Rodney Anderson. Uh, that's the only guy who I think is probably like, at that level. So hmm. yeah. And then Caleb made some plays. It wasn't like he just walked out there and looked good. Uh, like he, he made a couple plays, a couple bat downs, um, you know, so look good there, but yeah, I mean, just, uh, the linebackers need to be solid. They've got the room to be solid. Um, and so I, that's, you know, one of the, the least concerning positions on this entire team for me. Cool. Well, let's, let's kind of wrap this thing up. Fourth quarter, four questions kind of dive into guys. Number one, obviously we talk about, you know, stock up, stock down, but if, if there's a player coming out of spring ball that we've heard really good things about, and obviously we watched him perform on Saturday. If you, if, is there a player or two that you guys would buy stock in going into next year? Something that, something that you think that, you know, not just yourself, but all, all OU fans should be excited uh, to watch this kid perform. He's going to do extremely well. I took this a little bit uh, differently than I think you're intending it, Tyler. Um, just because of how I would do my investments. I want to buy guys that are low right now, uh, that people are not buying a ton of stock in. Uh, just because I know that that can expand as time goes on. So uh, my first pick is Spencer Radler. He had a terrible, uh, not a terrible, he just, he didn't have a great spectacular game on Saturday. Everyone's talking about Caleb Williams. His stock is soaring. It's super high, but I think Radler can still be a guy that wins the Heisman. So he's my first pick that I'm going to buy some stock of. And then my second one is Kennedy Brooks. Everyone's talking about Eric Gray. Kennedy Brooks didn't do a whole lot. 
but there is not enough depth in that backfield for Kennedy Brooks not to become a dude by the end of the year that is contributing on a high level. So I think not a ton of people are super pumped about him right now, but certainly his stock's going to balloon, I think, as time goes on. How, how ballsy of Adam to pick, you know, a Heisman favorite as like someone who's buying stock in. Yeah, and uh, a guy who's had 2,000 yard rushing yeah. seasons. Yeah, just, just crazy. I'm buying uh, low. I'm there. buying low. How low is that? I, I, don't, I don't think that's that I low. I mean, he's, he's only the Heisman front runner and number one on Mel Kuyper's 2022 it's, big board. It's not super low, <laughs> but it's not like people are running to buy those stocks right now just because of the performances that they had in the spring game. That's true. Yeah, that's true. We'll move on. Uh, <laughs> I, I I took it a little bit differently too, but but not like that. Uh, for me, just again, we talked about it just a little bit ago. Like Caleb Kelly is 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 a guy I'm buying stock in just out of sheer like hope and, and like desire for him to have a full good season. Um, the, he's athletic enough to do it. He's smart enough to do it. He knows this system. He just has to stay healthy. Um, and I think if he can, he can be an impactful player. So that's, that's one guy. And then, yeah, I completely breaking the rules here. Uh, my second player is just the secondary in general. Um, I, I made this more of a, a position group on this one because I, I genuinely do think that group can and will take the jump of what we saw the D line take last year. And if they can do that, this defense has that opportunity to be legitimately elite, not just a, in a sense like last year, where it was like, you hope the quarterback can't get the ball off in time because then you really don't know what's going to happen. But in a sense where you give some elite quarterbacks that are still present in the Big 12 time to throw the football, it's not just like, well, there's 10 yards, there's 15 yards, there's the big play. So this could be you where the defense as a whole comes together, not just the front seven. And so that's that's why I, I picked that that group on my uh, my second pick there. I like that. And I've got one for each side of the football. Starting on the offensive side, I'm buying stock in Andrew Rame. Obviously, I think this is a guy that going into the two-lane game, I think we're looking at, you know, I think he's going to be our starting center. And a guy who kind of, you know, I thought Josh hit the nail on the head, you know, in the U40 podcast earlier. Kind of seems like we're looking at Creed 2.0. Highly, highly intelligent kid. Um, extremely highly recruited coming out of high school. Plays the position extremely well. And again, all, talking about getting in the weight room, you know, continue to develop, build his strength up because that's a huge position and a lot of responsibility playing center. But I thought uh, we've heard a lot of really good things about him. Liked what we saw from him on Saturday. Um, so give me, I'm going to buy stock early on in this process for uh, for Andrew Ram. Then going over to the defensive side, I touched on earlier, DJ Graham. OU hasn't had a true dominant cornerback, I guess, dating all the way back since what? Zach Sanchez, I guess, is probably the most dominant corner. That we've had, I, would put, I wouldn't say he was a dominant corner. Well, a, a, a guy that you know, you you felt comfortable as a coach putting him out there on an island against their best receiver, unless it's against West Virginia. We won't talk about that game. Um, but I, I mean, Jordan Thomas had a solid freshman and sophomore season until his career just went the other direction. Yeah, so you could say the same for Parnell Motley early on. Now he got better. Yeah, uh, when yeah. yeah. Game. Um, but that was you know the whole. Mike Stoops effect, that whole secondary effect was like, he had great freshman, maybe sophomore years, and they just got worse. Well, uh, and as excited as I am about, you know, a lot of these guys in the secondary, I mean, Key Lawrence is another one, but if I'm buying stock on anybody, I think it's DJ Graham. I think that he has a chance uh, to kind of mirror Woody Washington on the other side and, you know, be another true, you know, lockdown corner for, for, this, OU for this OU defensive back group. Guys, moving on to question number two, post-spring ball. Now that the spring game is over with, have your expectations, and again, let me, let me back up a little bit. You've seen what's going on in the transfer portal. We've heard things coming out about other schools, other players, their performances in spring ball. Now that spring camp is over and done with, have your expectations of the 2021 season changed at all for this OU team? They've and if so, slightly, what are they? They've slightly lowered. Um, I still think this is a, is a playoff team. I'm not quite as sold specifically on the offensive line and the running back position groups, that gives me pause. Um, because I do think those things, especially the offensive line, needs to be, if not elite, really, really, really good in order to win a national championship. Um, and they're just, they're not there yet. They're just not. They could be, they could get there. I have full confidence that the O-line specifically will. But those are two position groups, guys, that are big question marks. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is a playoff team. I'm ready to slam my fist and say this is national title contender 
I think they're there, but I'm not quite as confident as what I was at the end of last season heading into this year. I might view this question a little bit differently than the way you're taking it, Corbin, or the way you're asking it, Tyler. But as far as every single season, my expectation for OU football is to win a national championship. Now, will that happen? Do I think it will happen? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not I'm not sold on that. I wouldn't bet money on it just yet. But this is OU football. You know, don't roll the ball out on the field if you're not expecting to win something. And so I I still feel really confident. You know, I'm not nearly as worried about some of the offensive aspects as as maybe you are, Corbin, just because I see the defensive line was elite last year, in my opinion. And I think they're only going to get better with all the depth that they have. And then we talked about the secondary. They're probably in position to take that next step and become more of an elite secondary as well. So I feel incredibly confident in what that defense is going to bring to the table, and they're going to make just the job of the offense so much easier throughout the season. One of the most unsung, un, unsung reasons why OU's offenses were so good back during the Baker and the Kyler area was because of the fact that you had a Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. And so if OU is going to put get themselves back into a position where they you know compete to have the number one offense or number, a top five offense in the country to go up and win a national championship, you've got to get back to that offensive line play that dominates every single week. And guys, my expectations for this group, bare minimum, is an undefeated regular season and a Big 12 championship and a chance to not just win a playoff game, get to a national championship, and eventually compete for one. My the I think the reason why my expectations are going up a little bit higher is Who's going to block Oklahoma? Who in the Big 12 is going to be able to block that front seven for, for an entire game? I mean, Texas, their offensive line, uh, they're, they're going to struggle. You know, that, that's not the best best group that we have. Uh, I, Iowa State is one that, with you know, they're going to be returning four out of their five stars on the offensive line. Brees Hall's back. You know, Brock Purdy, there might be a little bit of, you know, reason for concern as well as they played OU the past couple years. But, guys, when you look at the talent from top to bottom, You've got your quarterback returning, Spencer Rattler. I'm confident Bill Beanbow, he's going to get the offensive line figured out. Honestly, if there's one position group I'm a little bit worried about, maybe you could say running back, but honestly it's probably wide receiver right now just because there's so much unproven commodities in that position group. I don't know what I'm going to get once the, once it gets figured out. Well, I will say, you know, just in my opinion, with looking back at – 2017 2018 you do have an incredible joe moore level of offensive line uh, but you know just as important as what your defensive line is going to be and so if we have you know the best defensive line in the nation this year i think that can right so many wrongs (laughs) and not that i expect the offensive line to be bad by any stretch but I, i just think that that defense can make up for any deficiencies that the offensive line might have yeah, it's possible. Um, but as good as this defense is going to be, and I don't think the Big 12 offensively is what it used to be, but they're, they're still going to give up points. And I think Tyler kind of addressing, like, your expectations are an undefeated season. Like, we've had better teams, I think, than than what we're going to be putting out on the field this year. Maybe not necessarily as as a whole, but, like, we had a historically good offense multiple years in a row. And they still found a way to lose a the game they shouldn't. So I get that the defense is going to help that. But I think it would be foolish of me to think this team is going to go through the, non, the, uh, the non-conference and the conference season undefeated because we haven't done that in, in how long? Well, and again, I think one of the reasons why I think I am so confident is because of the fact that the offense had to be that good. And by no means do I think that this offense in 2021 is going to be as talented or as productive as what we saw from Baker's last year or Kyler's one season in Norman, but they're not going to have to be, especially in the Big 12 Conference. Looking and projecting what I think this OU defense could be, other than B. John Robinson and Iowa State's offense, there's not a team in the Big 12 that scares me right now when you look at the talent that this team has from top to bottom. I think the defense is going to be really good. I think Lincoln gets the offense figured out, and he'll have them clicking and firing on all his cylinders once conference play opens up. But, I mean, guys, Adam, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, as an OU fan, expectations are to win a national championship every single year. But this season, it it almost feels like those are a little bit more realistic expectations for us to think that this is the team, this is a complete team, that could ultimately go up there and win a national championship. Not just get there, 
But I think that this has the makings of being a group that could go up there and knock off a team like Alabama or Ohio State and, w- and win the program's eighth national championship. So um, moving on to, to the next question here, <laughs> better career as we sit here right now, April 28th, 2021, Spencer's got a full year in the system. Caleb has played two halves of football in the spring game. If you guys were putting money on it right now, who's going to have the better? Uh, Adam, you put this question together. Is this the better college career or is this the better, or Corbin, maybe you did this. What, what were you meaning by this better career between these two quarterbacks? Left it up to interpretation, however you guys wanted to, to view it. Um, to me, I'm going to give the edge to Caleb. Strictly being, I think he's going to have better teams around him. I think this roster is going to continue to, to grow in depth and grow in talent. Um and I think Caleb, by the time all things are said and done, is probably going to have a better overall career. And I, dude, I, I do think uh, the the mobility factor of Caleb Williams is something that Spencer doesn't have. Um, and so I think, yeah, at five years from now, when we look back, I think Caleb may be a little more um, beloved by Sooner Nation than maybe Spencer will be. It might come down to who has the championship, and hopefully both of them right. do. But I think just looking at this question, we already know what year one of Rattler looked like. And he was probably top 15, top, maybe fringe top 10 quarterback last year in all of college football, but nothing that we would write home about as far as what we've seen here in Norman in, in past years. And, you know, he had the shortened season. Uh, so his stats weren't nearly as impressive as they would normally be. So Caleb Williams will have the full arsenal of 12 games as starter uh, for his two years at least um, is what we'll see from him probably. And he'll have two full spring practices to go through, um, whereas Spencer Rattler just had his very first spring ever. So I think he'll be much better prepared. And I think, as you mentioned, Corbin, he'll probably have better teams around him. I think statistically Caleb is going to have better numbers. I think that he'll be at Oklahoma maybe a little bit longer and have a chance to be more productive than what Spencer's going to be. If Spencer has the year that we think he's going to, he's gone after this season. That's two years as a starting quarterback at Oklahoma. Hopefully he has a Heisman and a national championship to go with it. If that is the case, then, uh, you know, Caleb's guys will work cut out for him. But if he's – when we look and see – what they're what OU is doing recruiting wise, especially on the offensive side of the football. I mean, we're gonna have three more five star receivers coming in next year for Caleb to to, to play with. I mean, the, the, there's no reason to expect that you know if he's here for three years, Caleb's not gonna put up some ridiculous numbers uh, and have a fantastic career here. But we'll we'll uh, we'll see how this season goes and we'll go from there. Bonus question regarding these two quarterbacks: Are the top two quarterbacks in the Big Twelve at Oklahoma right now? I think that's kind of selfish to say that at this point because we've seen Caleb Williams throw, what, 10, 14 passes in a spring game. Uh, that's being a little greedy to say at this point, but I think so. Is it, is it too okay. – <laughs> <laughs> Corbin? Uh, no. No, I'd still have Brock Purdy at two probably. Um, more just taking the knowns over the unknowns. Um, but you could, you could definitely make the argument, that's for sure. If this this is our team, this is Oklahoma, you take Spencer Rattler out of the equation, would you rather have Caleb Williams under center or Brock Purdy and Norman? It's a good question just because you know what's at stake, especially for this team, and would you rather have someone that's experienced but lower ceiling? I don't know. Are we yeah. talking a single game or an entire season? Going entire season. You take, you take Spencer Rattler off the team right now and – Caleb Williams and Brock Purdy show up to Norman fall camp. I mean, obviously this is all hypothetical, but it, you know, it is an interesting discussion. I mean, I'd probably take Brock if we're talking about an entire season before, if we're saying, Hey, like one game's on the line, I might, I might take Caleb just because I think the ceiling's higher there. I think yeah. Caleb at his best is going to be better than Brock Purdy, but I think the consistency over a longevity of a season, I'd probably more lean towards the experience. I think it's a really good way to describe it. And I, I, I agree with you on that. Guys, last question before we get out of here. NFL draft kicks off tomorrow night, round one. Last question to you guys. Out of all the players that OU is going to be, that OU is going to have be draft eligible uh, starting tomorrow night, which OU players get drafted and where do you think they'll go? Pick wise, range wise. You don't have to tell me what team. I really have no idea. I mean, I'd like to think that Creed will go in the first round. But I think that's probably being a little crimson colored glasses here. 
So he's probably a second round guy. Ronnie Perkins might be a second round guy. I think Adrian Ely will get drafted later. And Trey Brown will probably get drafted uh, on Saturday at some point. Um, but it's it's so hard to predict, especially once you get later into the rounds. You know, is a guy a third rounder or is he a sixth rounder? It's there's just a wide variance there. Yeah, I mean, outside of Creed and, and Ronnie, I think both those are second round guys. Um, I don't know what happens after that. I think once you get past that third round, it's a crapshoot of who teams are going to start picking. Um, so I think you could see two to three more of you guys get picked on late Friday night, Saturday, or you could stick with two. Um, you know, it's possible. Uh, you know, so time will tell on something like that. But I wouldn't expect in, I wouldn't expect any um, any picks tomorrow night. That's for sure. If I was going to make a prediction, I think that we'll have five. I think we'll have five guys drafted. Obviously, Ronnie and, and Creed. That's that's second round. Maybe there's a slight outside shot that Creed sleeps in or slips into the end of the first round. But I think Ronnie's definitely a round two, round three guy. Um, and then, guys, once once you get past rounds two and three, then it's all about you know having a team fall in love with you, fall in love with a guy that they think can come in and make an impact uh, on their franchise and would be a good fit for them. I think Adrian Ely. I think he gets drafted later in the rounds. Trey Trey Brown. I mean, he's got really good tape. He's got a good 40 time. He's a really athletic player. I think that a team with the with the wide receiver position being such a huge uh, position in the NFL right now with all the quarterbacks that are coming in, uh, having a good, solid defensive back, that's a, that's a hot commodity in today's NFL game. And then we'll see what happens um, with, with, with Trey Norwood. I don't know. I think that might be one of the things that we're talking about after the draft is over is, you know, what, what could have happened if somebody like Trey Norwood would have came back for another year at Oklahoma. I don't know if he will be drafted. He might be an unsigned free agent coming out of things, but we'll, it's uh it'll be fun to watch. It's definitely good seeing a lot of guys that we, you know, grew up watching every Saturday, having, having to see them uh, have a chance to go on and play in the NFL. So guys, anything else before we get out of here? Nope. Got nothing. All right. Well, always appreciate you guys for listening. We appreciate the following. Uh, as always, uh, go on Apple Podcast, give us a five star review, like, and subscribe. Um, and again, appreciate you guys for listening. And we will be back here next week with another episode of the Mainline Podcast.